This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. This morning as we're talking in our series, Accelerator, the Process of Progress, I want to talk about something that's very small, but yet it's very powerful. I want to talk about our words. And I want you to stay with me. Maybe this is new information for you, but this is, it can be extremely helpful. Now, there are things that we know that are small, but they can pack a big punch. And you know, atoms are really small. Atoms are the, the smallest unit in an element. And atoms yet can be created, I mean, can split. And when they're split, they create nuclear energy, atomic bombs, nuclear energy. Atoms, small but powerful. One teacher was telling me after the first service, she said, when I was teaching a class, she said, I taught them about atoms. And she said, you know, atoms made up of three parts. It's made up of, a, of a protons and, and neutrons. I said, and she asked the class, she said, class, what circles around the atoms? And a little girl called out, croutons. And so, <laughs> I like that, I like, yeah, croutons. That girl had food on her mind. And so, it's, atoms are small, but they're powerful. I found out something else that's very small, but very powerful. I never knew it till I came to Texas. Fire ants are small, but powerful. Man, those little things can bite. I, yeah, I'd never experienced them before. We didn't have them in North Carolina. They may have imported them by now, but they never had them when I was there. And I was at Walden at a sales conference. We were playing volleyball. It's in the afternoon. And I went to get a volleyball that ran out of bounds. And as I got the ball, I was standing and I stopped for a moment and I was standing and my feet lit up and I was standing right on top of a fire ant man. They're aggressive little boogers too, man. They, they come, oh man, they just swarmed all over my feet. I'm like, ah, I can see why they called them fire ants because my feet were on fire and I ran to the lake and those little suckers swim too because I, <laughs> I, I couldn't get them off my feet. And I'm like, oh my gosh. They're like, welcome to Texas. I, we had, a, we had a, a banquet that night and I'd put some hard shoes on and during the banquet, I'm like, man, these shoes are uncomfortable. And I, these are the most uncomfortable shoes I think I've ever had. When I took them off, I saw why they were so uncomfortable. My feet looked like, like the elephant, man. My feet just all swole up. I'm like, Phew. fire ants. Small but powerful. Seeds. You know, it takes just little bitty seeds, and you get a big plant. Jesus, in fact, referenced mustard seeds. Very tiny. Create huge plants. So seeds are just small, but they're, they're powerful stuff. You know that you can make small improvements in your life and it has powerful changes? We encourage people that, you said, you know what, if you, you just begin to make church a part of your life, that's kind of a small thing, not huge. It's kind of a small thing. But it can, it can really begin to change the course of your life. We talk about reading Project 345. And, you know, reading just three minutes and 45 seconds a day, one chapter a day. And that, that one thing can begin to change some of your habits and it really begin to change your perspective. Small things, small improvements can really, really begin to change things. In 2003, the, the British Cycling Federation hired a, a new coach by the name of Dave Brailsford. Now you have to understand that, that the British cycling, Europe loves two things. They love soccer and cycling. That's their big sports. And British cycling, they had been horrible for like 100 years. They were the Cleveland Browns of cycling. They were just really... <laughs> Did you notice I didn't say cowboys? Did you notice that? <laughs> I told you that I, my, one of my New Year's resolutions, be nicer to cowboy fans this year. And it, this has been tough, but I'm hanging in there. And they, they were, anyway, British were horrible, and they hired this coach, Dave Brailsford, and Dave came in, and their, his objective was turn around this 
horrible, mediocre British cycling. They only won one gold medal since 1908. They've never won a Tour de France, which is that big race that goes all over Europe. They never won it. They were bad. In fact, they were so bad, there was a bicycle manufacturer in Europe that would not even sell the British their bicycles because they didn't want anybody else seeing the Brits. The Brits are riding these because they thought, oh, no, no, bad, bad publicity. So Dave came in, and here's what he said. He said, I'm, here's my strategy, the aggregation of minimal uh, marginal results. And he began to look at every single element of what made up a team and try to improve every single element. So they, they looked at the bicycle seats. They redesigned the seats to make them more effective. They started rubbing alcohol on the tires to give them better grip. They began to examine the massage gels that they would do to help the muscles recover. They redid their, they redid their, uh, their entire, what they ate, they redid their wardrobes. So instead of wearing uh, the certain suits, they came up with different suits that were more aerodynamic. And they kept making these, these small adjustments. They even, they even changed the pillows and the mattresses on which they slept, slept on, trying to get the most uh, rest for their riders. That started in 2003. In 2008, at Beijing Olympics, they won 60% of the gold medals available. In 2012, they dominated the London Olympics. And in 2012, they finally had a rider, a British rider, win the Tour de France. And then they won it four more times before 2017. They went from being one of the most mediocre, average, poor groups to being one of the most successful cycling teams ever. And it was all by simply making small adjustments, not huge, small adjustments. Now, this morning, I, I, and this was from the book, and you heard me reference the book, Atomic Habits, and many people come up and said, Alan, I'm sorry, reading that book, it's a good book. I don't recommend a lot of books. When I do, it's a good one. And this is a good one. And so... He talks a lot about changing, changing our actions, beginning to change actions to line up with who we want to become, changing our actions. Now, what I'm going to add to that is changing our words. That it's not just actions, it's words. And this is where oftentimes people are like, ah, I don't know about that. It's, you know, words are, are, are just words. Not in God's kingdom. Words are powerful. Look what, look what James says about words. He's talking about words. He said, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now, you understand that when James is talking about the tongue, it's not this. He's talking about our words. And he says, you know, he said, if you put a bit in a horse's mouth, you can steer a, you can steer a big old horse with a bit. He said, if you get a, a ship, big ships, he said, you can steer it with a small rudder. He said, in the same way, our tongue can be used. He said, likewise, the tongue. So he's saying the tongue is the same way. So in other words, it can begin to change the direction of our life. Then he said, a a, a, a small forest or a big forest is set on fire by a small spark. And so it also tells us something. It tells us that our words can be used to start something in our life. So that's a, that's a fascinating thought. It's a very different thought. Because we think of, oftentimes when we think of making changes, we think of this huge effort, these defining moments 
And yet we find it's not this huge effort in defining moments. It's making small changes on a consistent basis that can help us get to where we are. And words can be a part of that. I talked with the mom last week, and we had talked about identity. And she came down. She had a very good question. She was concerned about uh, one, one of her children. She said this particular child had started to identify, at a young age, had started to identify negatively. And we talked about that. And we talked about how, how we wanted to change that. And one of the things that I suggested was, I said, don't, don't give this child a lot of verses. Give them one verse. And have them begin to say one verse. Uh, maybe, I said, maybe, for example, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Why? You say, Alan, why in the world would you talk to a mom about changing words? Because here's what I know. If you start at a young age and begin to say things like, I can't do it. I'm not loved. No one cares about me. I'm just, you know, everyone hates me. I'm not smart. I'm this and that. You, you think, well, that's, that, that's, that's just a child. Yeah, but it's just a child speaking words that you don't want to see come to pass in their life. And this is a good time to begin to catch them and stop them and say, no, no. Because, you know, if they start that when they're eight or nine and those words continue to go downhill, that's not setting a good path. That's not turning them in the right direction. We want those kids going in the right direction. So we need to begin to have them say, I'm loved by God. I'm chosen by God. He's got a plan for my life. He's got something good for me. What Joy shared this morning it was, was right in line with what I'm sharing. How do, how do you... How do you get God into your family? Well, for one thing, it's not church is, is great. That's a big part of it. But you're not in church most of the time. When you're home, you can begin to talk about God's good. and He has a great plan for your life, and he loves you, has a destiny for you. Why? Because we can get words going in another direction. Get them changed. Now, again, we think of changing our life. We don't think of words, and yet the scriptures talk about words. In fact, when God wanted to change one man's life, that's where he started. The man's name was Abraham. And Abraham, in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, Abraham was, was an was older guy. He, at the time of this, he was 99 years old. He only had one child, and that was a child named Ishmael, and that was through someone else, well, it was through his, his wife's maid. And uh, Abraham is, obviously, he's up in years. His wife, Sarai, is, is 90. She never had kids. She never had them. And so God begins to speak to Abraham but notice what he talks to Abraham about. Not just changing actions, changing his words. Let's see it here in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. That's actually El Shaddai. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram. Your name will be Abraham. For I have made you a father of many nations, and I'll make you very fruitful, and I'll make nations of you, and kings will come for you. God also said to Abraham, notice, now this is verse 15. His, his, his name had already changed by this time. As for Sarai, your wife, you are no longer to call her Sarai. Her name will be Sarah, and I will bless her, and will surely give you a son by her, and I will bless her so that she will become the mother of nations, Kings of peoples will come from her. And Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? When God appeared to, to Abraham, he, he began to reference something that he had a relationship with Abraham. 
And I like what he said to him. He said, Abraham, if you'll walk before me, what does that mean? In other words, you're saying, Abraham, don't make me just add on to your life. Make me a part of, of your consciousness. Make me a part of, you're not just in this alone. You walk before me. I'm watching you. I'm with you. And I have a covenant. That's, a, that's a, like a contract, except it's even a stronger contract. I have a covenant relationship with Abraham. That's where we get circumcision from. It was a sign of the agreement. It sealed the agreement that God had with Abraham. So they talked about, they talked about that relationship, and then God said something else. He said, now, I, I'm, I'm changing your name. I don't want you to call yourself Abram anymore. Abram meant uh, exalted father. He said, I'm changing your name to Abraham. And Abraham means father of a multitude. And then he also said, and don't be calling Sarah, Sarah, Sarai, or Sa Sarai, meant, uh, some translations meant contentious, which is not a good word. He said, call her Sarah, which means a princess, nobility. He said, and, and kings will come from her. So what he said is, don't call yourself this anymore. You call yourself by this new name. Now, you know, it took a step of faith for Abraham and Sarah to change their names. It took a step of faith for them to go, okay, God, I mean, I haven't seen anything yet. I'm, I'm 99, she's, she's 90, and uh, we, hadn't, you know, we hadn't had any kids yet, and my day is gone, my brother. It's gone, it's over. And, and yet it took a step of faith for them to agree with God and begin to call themselves. In fact, I'm sure they looked a little delusional because they had close to, they had 300 men who could, who could pick up the sword in their, in their staff and they probably had close to 1,000 people so they sent out a big memo, a little email that said, name change, no longer, call Abraham and Abram and Sarah, their names have changed. You are now to refer to them as Abraham or Mr. Abraham to you and Miss Sarah and that's what you're to call them. And I, you don't, don't you know people are talking? They're like, oh, man, he's, he's the father of a multitude, <laughs> right? And she's a princess. I'm, that sounds delusional. I mean, and they're, going, and they're just like, no, I'm a, God said I'm a father of a multitude. It took some faith to do that. It took some faith for them to agree with their new names. And God said, and don't call yourself by the old name anymore. So I'm sure Sarah called she said, Abram, dinner. And he went, uh-uh. She said, oh, okay, I'm sorry. Abraham, dinner. And he said, thanks, Sarai. She went, uh-uh. And she goes, okay, thanks, Sarah. And it probably took a little while, but here's the deal. They didn't start off real good, but they got there. Because when God told Abram, Abraham, he said, you're going to have a son, and Sarah's going to be the mom. You know what Abraham did? Man of faith. He laughed. He's like, yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he's laughing. Don't do that when God says something to you. Just don't, don't, don't laugh. He's laughing. He's on his face laughing, going, right, I'm going to have a son. I'm not, I'm about 100 years old, and I'm going to have a son. This was way before Viagra. His day was it. It was over. <laughs> I said, Alan, I was crude. No, that's Bible. The, the, the Bible said because in Romans, it actually, lists, it actually lists Abraham and it lists his faith. And it said, who Abraham, he said when he was 100 years old, he didn't consider, he considered his, the deadness of his own body and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He only considered the promise of God. He didn't start in faith, but he got there. He didn't start off doing good. He started off laughing at God. And Sarah, actually, you, you read her story, she laughed at God too. They started off laughing. But they made small steps, and part of the small steps were, I'm going to call myself what God calls me. 
That was a small... And so some point in time down the road, it began to dawn on Abraham. I am the father of a multitude. And they did have a baby boy. And they named him Isaac, which means laughter. God's got a sense of humor. Abraham laughed, Sarah laughed, and God got the last laugh. Like, here we go. Here he is. But what I wanted you to see was changed his words. He changed his words. You want to make changes in your life. How do you make changes in your life that have a big impact? Here's the first thing. Do not underestimate the power of small things. You want to change a lot? Listen, it's just small adjustments. We keep waiting for this massive thing. Just make small adjustments. And it's the small adjustments that, that are the small adjustments that are powerful. And then understand that your words are small, but they're very powerful. Now we live in a day where people have kind of gotten that attitude of, man, I don't even know, I don't know whose words to believe anymore. The news is lying to me. Everybody's lying to me. It's fake news and fake social this and fake so I don't believe anybody's words anymore. And we've gotten to a day where our words aren't valued like they should be. We don't value. Some of you remember years and years ago when people would shake hands and, and they wouldn't write contracts. And you would hear people say, oh, I gave him my word on this. Ever hear people say that? I gave him my word. And if so-and-so gave his word, my word is my bond. And so people would say, you don't hear that much anymore. Oh, no, no, no. We're going to lawyer up. We got a lot of contracts. We got a lot of stuff that we need. And yet words are still valuable. And you say, well, in our modern culture, Alan, words aren't important. But we're not just in our modern culture. We're in the kingdom of God, and it operates differently. And in God's kingdom, one of his principles is your words matter. In fact, your words are like seeds. And so you want your words to have life in them. Look at this verse in Proverbs. It says death and life. The tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. And those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, if our words are like seeds, here's my question. What are we planting? I don't, now I don't garden. I did garden when I was a kid growing up, and I vowed, made a promise to myself, I will never have a garden. But if I did have a garden, I can tell you what I would have in it. I would have corn. I would have tomatoes. I would have cucumbers and watermelon and strawberries. I would not have onions. <laughs> I say, well, why? Because I hate them. <laughs> Alan's not good to use the word hate. You can give me a stronger word, I'm all in, but I hate onions. So I'm not going to plant. So if you came to my garden and went, what you got? I'm like, I got corn and tomatoes and cucumbers and watermelons and strawberries and onions. I thought you hate onions. I don't know why I have onions. I, I just planted them. I have onions. You go, Alan, you're stupid. If you didn't want onions, don't plant onions. If you don't want death in your life, don't plant death. Don't plant negatives. Don't plant it. You say, what do you mean plant death? Don't look at your child and go, you are never going to amount to anything. Don't ever say that. Don't ever say, I don't, I don't know. I, dear Lord, you're just like your father. You're messed up. <laughs> That's not helping anybody. We know when I was in sales for a long time, and I was in, when I was in uh, commission sales, you don't sell, you don't eat. And I really appreciate the fact that when I would leave the house, Joy would speak words of life to me. She'd say, honey, you're going to sail today. God's going to do something good today. That's how I would leave the home. What is she doing? She's planting life with those. 
I am so glad that Joy didn't look at me and go, oh my gosh, Alan, if you don't sell something, we're all going to die. <laughs> you don't want that. that that's, that's, you don't want those words ringing in your ears. Our words are much more powerful than we've thought. We want to plant life. So make your words work for you. So here's one of the best things you can start. Stop the negatives. Stop the negatives. And what happens is all of us have words that we've said about ourselves that are kind of negative. I mean, I know. And in fact, if someone else said those words to you, you, you might get, have you ever just walked around yourself? God, I can't believe I did that. I am so stupid, stupid, stupid. <laughs> I know I'm the only one that's ever done that. So just <laughs> indulge me for a moment. And you might call yourself stupid. Or you might, you might just in a moment of honesty, just look to the Lord and go, I, I, I just fail at stuff. I, I, I'm a failure. And, and we speak words like that, and they're not helping you at all. And, I, and actually, if someone else called you that, you'd probably get offended. If someone looked at you and said, there you are, you're stupid, stupid, stupid. You're like, what are you, what? We're going to have a drop the mic moment on you just here in a second. But yet we call ourselves that. And so we've got to be willing to stop the negatives. And here's the thing. The most empowering words we can say are words that agree with what God has already said about us. When God said to Abraham, I made you a father of many nations, here's your name, Abraham, it would behoove us. How do you like that word, behoove? That's a great word. That's my $5 word for the day. It would behoove us to actually begin to say what God has said about us. If he says we're forgiven, then we are. If he says we're loved, then we are. If he says we're accepted, then we are. And we can begin to say that about ourselves. In fact, all of us could probably use a name change. We need to begin to call ourselves, I'm the one that God loves. You need to look at yourself before you go to bed tonight, look in the mirror and go, good night, God's favorite. <laughs> and you're going, Alan, I, I can't say that. I'm not the favorite. If you're not the, Joy's probably the favorite, not you, but Joy's probably the favorite. It's like, no, 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 please understand the Bible said God is no respecter of persons at all. And so if we can look at ourselves and say, Father, thank you that you surround your, your, your ones with favors with the shield. You surround me with, thank you, Lord, I'm your favor. I'm chosen by you. Now that sounds, you know when we start saying stuff like that, that sounds weird. It's like, no, oh, I, I can't do that. That sounds weird. To, to say things like that out loud, when you first start saying them, they just sound weird. But you know, the more you say, begin to say things, the more real it becomes to you. When I first came back to the Lord a number of years ago, people, this was like 37, 38 years ago, and people say, well, well Alan, are you saved? And I would go, yeah. Very hesitant. But you know what happened over, over the years, over the time, I, I began to say, no, I, I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord. I, I, I've confessed him with my mouth. God raised him from the dead. I'm saved. And I began to say that and began to say that. And the, the reality of it dawned on me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. There's some of you that wouldn't even say that when you first came to the Lord. And now you're like, oh, yes, yes, absolutely. I am the saved. You know, science is starting to find this out. They have something in the Japanese railway system called point and call. The Japanese have one of the best railway systems in the world. 
and their, their railway system, they have a point and call. It's very unusual. If you watch the Japanese conductors, when they're, come, when they're in, the, in, in their control area, they're, they're pointing and calling stuff. And they're saying things like, the train is leaving the station. The train is arriving at the station. The signal is green. The signal is red. The, the train is leaving at 10.04. The train is arriving. And they're calling out all these things. In fact, it even works on the, on the, uh, the, the uh, platform where employees go, the platform is clear. And they, they point and they call. You say, well, why are they doing that? Well, they're pointing and calling because they're creating an awareness. And when the Japanese installed this safety system, it actually dropped their accidents by let's see, 85%. No, excuse me, errors by 85%, accidents by 30% when they put that into place. When you point and call. You know, their science are starting to find out that if you want to get rid of a bad habit, you point and call it. For example, if you're one of these people that never has to worry about your weight, wonderful. Bless your heart. But for the rest of us, those who are, who are just trying to kind of watch things, they said that if you're trying to break a habit of eating bluebell and Oreos, at 11 o'clock at night, then the next time you get up and you're going to the refrigerator, you begin to say, I'm going to eat an Oreo cookie and a big bowl of Bluebell at 11 o'clock, which is very unhealthy for me. <laughs> and just verbalizing that's going to make it realize, what in the world am I doing? I'm about to do this. Now, if you don't want to break that habit, don't say anything. <laughs> but if you, if you want to break it, you can point and call it. You know, we, we do that. The science is fine. If you will say, I'm going to do this task at certain certain time, your chances of doing it go up tremendously. One lady, when she's getting ready to leave for a trip, she says, I have my keys, I have my glasses, I have my wallet, I have my husband. She, she points and calls, and, and it helps her remember. Well, listen, if it'll work for the Japanese on their railway system, if it'll work for, if scientists have figured out that it'll help you if you verbalize it, then there's nothing wrong with us beginning to verbalize what God has called us and to point at ourselves and say, I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I am strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I'm accepted in the beloved. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. And you can begin to point and call who you are. Now listen, if I'm, if I'm sharing this today and you're going, oh, come on, Alan, <laughs> seriously? This is, this, is, <laughs> this is a little bit laughable. That's what Abraham did. But if you'll just go, what have you got to lose? If you just go ahead and do it anyway. And what you're going to find out is you've got a lot more faith than you thought you did. Instead of thinking, oh, I don't know if I, I don't have faith. Stop asking yourself and tell yourself, I do have faith. I'm a believer. And here's a great, here's a great verse, 2 Corinthians, 3, 2 Corinthians 4, that says, It's written, I believe, therefore I've spoken. Since we have the same, it says we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore we speak. We're believing and speaking. In God's kingdom, words and actions are, are gathered alike. They're powerful. Treat them, treat them with value. It can begin to change things. How many of you are football fans out there? Anybody? If you're, if you're, a, a, pro foot, if you're a pro football fan, it's a good day today. Conference championships. We love them. And we don't, we're not nervous because we have no one that we care about that's in them. So <laughs> those teams are getting ready to play right now. They're getting ready mentally. They're getting ready. They're starting to talk. You know, the, the, the talkative ones are talking to themselves. The, the silent ones are thinking. They're getting ready to play. They're warming up. And right before the game 
starts, they're gonna all huddle up, and usually one of their leaders is gonna step into the middle of the huddle. He's gonna put his hand in there. He's gonna say, here's what he's gonna say. He's gonna say, gentlemen, we are prepared. Usually they're kind of preachy. We are prepared and we are ready to get beat down today. I don't know if you've seen the size of those guys, but their defensive line is huge and their secondary is so fast. It's going to be bad. We're going to all die. So on three, I want everyone to say we're dead meat. One, two, three. We're dead meat. That's not happening. When they get in that circle, when they get in that huddle, they're getting ready to go to battle. They're getting ready to go to war. They're, what they're saying is, let's put them in here. Guys, we're prepared and we're ready. They haven't seen what's going to hit them today. We are a force. We are dominant. We are going to execute. And when this game is over, we're going to be the ones standing. You want somebody talking victory when you're getting ready to go out and get into a battle. And they said, one, oh, dominate on three. One, two, three, dominate. Say, what's that got to do with me? Everything. Because you're in a game too. You're in the game of life. And we play it every day. And you may have huddled up around you. You may have family and friends and loved ones. And what you don't need to do is stick your hand in and go, I have no idea how we're going to make it. Well, this is one of the sorriest families I have ever been around. <laughs> And you, if you think, well, Alan, you don't know my family. Yeah, but I, I know something's changed in you. If you've made Jesus your Lord, you're part of another family. And so when the hands go in, there's another hand that goes on top of yours. And it's got a nail hole through it. And you look up and it's Jesus. He's smiling at you. He's on your team. And you say, Jesus, lead us out. He said, I, I've already said what I'm going to say. What are you going to say? Here's what you're not going to do. You're not going to look at him and go, I don't know how we're going to make it. We're, this is a horrible family. You're, you're going to look at him and go, I want to thank you, sir, that you died on the cross for my sins, that you shed your blood for me, and God raised you from the dead. I've received you. We're, a, we're new creations in this family. We belong to your family. You've empowered us. You have strengthened us. And by your grace, sir, we will overcome. We're going to win in Jesus' name. In Christ, in three. One, two, three, in Christ. And those are winning words. Small words. Big impact. Would you bow your head with me? Please, no one leaving or moving will be out of here in just a moment. If you came and said, Alan, I, I don't have a relationship with the Lord. I'm not in his huddle. He's not in mine. Are you saying, Alan, I've walked away from him, and I know that, and I want to come back. We're going to say a prayer. I'm not going to ask that you stand up or come to the front sitting right in your chair this afternoon, you can make a decision that absolutely changes not just your life, but your eternity. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. If that's you that I'm talking to, you say, Alan, I do want that relationship with the Lord or I want to come back to him. Would you pray for me? I just need you to do one thing. Just slip your hand up across this auditorium. Thank you. Way in the back, I got you. In the front, thanks. Anybody else? Just say, Alan, that's me. Would you, would you pray for me? Thank you. Thank you for your honesty. Anyone else? We're going to pray. Thank you. Put your hands down. We're going to pray. Maybe you didn't lift your hand. You really wanted to, and you thought, ah, I missed my chance. No, this is, a, this is a heart prayer, and we're going to use words, powerful words, to change. Speak them out loud so you can hear them. I'm going to lead you in and say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. 
I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Head still bowed and eyes closed just for a moment. Heavenly Father, thank you for those that prayed that prayer today. And Father, for the rest here, those who are, who are already walking with you, walking before you, those in the family, those with a covenant relationship, thank you for showing us where we can do a word audit and begin to speak words that reflect our relationship with you, not the failures of the past. Lord, we thank you for that. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.